Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Well, we're very fortunate today on the Autosport podcast to welcome the most experienced driver in Formula One history with uh, 322 starts, I think it is, uh, Rubens Barrichello. I'm your host, Ed Straw, and yeah, well, it's uh, a real privilege to have you here, Rubens. Of course, still going strong, actively racing, stock cars, still got the passion for, for motorsport even after all these years. Yeah, well, uh, pleasure all mine. Thank you very much for the invite, and uh, it's uh, it's just amazing that um, you know people actually. Um, when I visit the last time uh, Goodwood, for example, they asked me what did I do after Formula One, if you know, um, with no racing, and I said, look, I'm more much more involved in in motor racing than I used to because at the end of the day, I. I did one year in Indy cars, but then my passion for the stock car for the Brazilian championship was was always high, and I always had that on on the back of my mind whenever I was done with Formula One that I wanted to do that championship. Not just because you have names there, such as uh, Zont. Um, when I came in, was Burti. You have um, you know all the other names that been in Formula One. Uh, that are so so competitive. Uh, Massa uh, um, just raced uh, last year on the on a, on the famous um, million million reais race, and um, but because it's so competitive, I mean it's amazing to see like eight tenths of a second from first to the to the thirtieth uh, guy on the grid. So I love that. I really do. Uh, it was very very different than I than I ever drove um, anything before and I I had to get used to it but then you know I won the championship and I'm still 
going competitive. Plus, whenever my kids started to race, I got so emotionally sick with, with the fact that you almost know what's going to happen. I mean, I have one, one kid in, in Eduardo that it's uh, uh, a little, um, you know, too calm. And I have in Fernando someone that uh, it's so brave and uh, he's going to start eighth and be first on the first lap. So I think my heart was going to fell off my mouth. So I, I decided to race myself on the go-karts. And then on the 2016, I qualified for the World Championship on the Rotax Championship. And I went there and I finished fourth running with the kids. Um, and they said that I should run master because I'm, I'm getting old. But it's still, when, whenever I'm, I'm still fit enough to race the boys and I still think that my 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 speed is good i should be racing with the kids it's a good test of whether you've still got it but to, to do what you've been doing it's uh, it shows the, the enthusiasm is, is still there i will also introduce we also have lisa cavalcanti here as uh, often we do in our brazilian podcast when did you first run into rubens i presume it would have been when he was very young oh yes yes both of us were much younger uh that was in the karting days uh, it was the time that there was some expectation to christian fittipaldi because of his family name and they were i believe they were juniors in karts and you went there of course christian was there but there was another name a name nobody had ever heard about it was Barrichello. Who? Barrichello, that kid there. Oh, the one that goes there. Ahead of Christian. Yes, he's there. Who the hell is that guy? Well, that's Rubens Barrichello. That's here with us now. It's been about maybe more than 30 years. That's a yellow card for, for telling the, the age, but uh, it's probably the right age, yes. You're only as old as your last race, so... You're exactly. <laughs> still going strong, but it, it's an interesting place to start. So you mentioned your, your sons and Eduardo is in single-seaters at the moment. Obviously, the, the world is very, very different to the world you started in, in, in single-seater racing. Uh, obviously, it was always expensive, but how, how different do you think the, the world for a young driver is now trying to make their way in single-seater racing compared to what you were doing uh, the number of it's, years um, ago, <laughs> we won't well, mention. Honestly, I don't know if it is true what I'm, what I'm going to tell you, but it looks to me that you have a lot more candidates for, for the same, same job. It it's used to be like 20 fighting for one, uh, one place, and now it looks like 200. So it's kind of a tough now because... People are not only getting to their uh, seat because of talent. Right now, money shows that you can get to anywhere. And uh, it becomes a little bit more difficult, uh, a bit easier in a way, but a bit more difficult in another way. Um, I'm trying to emulate everything that it, I had uh, in my career because my father had no experience, but it worked. So I'm trying to repeat in a way what he's done to me and um and I only do that for Eduardo because I see the love and the passion that uh, he goes and feel um about the car so for me it's a super super thing to be to be with him and to see him developing um Fernando right now my my youngest son decided that he want to give it a, a break for for the for the cars and uh he went to play soccer, which um, in a way it's sad because he's such a good driver. But uh, I think uh, it shows me that uh, that I'm doing the right thing in a way that uh, people come to me and say, hey, my son wants to be a Formula One driver and uh, 
what what is your uh, advice to him and i the first question for me is that is that the boy want to be a formula one driver or is you dad that wants him to be a formula one driver because that's that's something that is so so important and um whenever he decided to play soccer i don't know if he ever ever drive again uh, in a competitive way of course he's going to do the 500 miles grunge with me on the go-kart and the and and his brother which is going to be fun but um it shows shows to me that he has a voice that he's not doing something that because I love that he's doing what uh what the passion is asking him and uh he's still on the sports i think it is so important for a kid to be involved uh, on sports exactly and it's interesting you say about trying to make sure that it's what what they want and obviously it'd be easy for someone in your position to kind of push them into it but it's it's very positive that you're not but it is a it is interesting because the phrase we use in the UK is carting dad which normally is a usually is a bad thing should we say but obviously your unique experience means you've got a lot you can kind of pass down and it's there's an interesting comparison because for example obviously we've got Max Verstappen in Formula One um, I've spoken to Jos in the past about how he went about kind of educating Max and he's almost manufactured Max to be this incredible driver very almost seems very regimented very focused from but the first it, time he drove it, a car is it true to say that uh, we nowadays we look into Max and he looks like he likes it even more than yours that's probably true yeah, it, it, yeah. and it's amazing so yeah. I mean it, it goes to what we you know what I was saying I mean it, it, we can see on on Max's eyes that he's definitely not doing for his dad He's doing because he, he really likes the speed. And whenever you go for, I was in Vegas now racing the shifters and um, somebody came to me and said, oh, I was here four years ago or five years ago when Max drove in Vegas in the go-karts and uh, he was special. And he was special since the, the, the word uh, go. Uh, that kid on the go-kart is, is, I haven't seen him driving, but they tell me that he's amazing. So... It's uh, he's amazing on a Formula One car for sure. But is it is it difficult if you're trying to pass down knowledge, should we say? Because although you've achieved amazing things in uh, in motorsport, any kid for their parents they don't always like to listen to all the advice, should we say? Do, do you ever have any problem with that, or is it? Yeah, uh, no, I, it... it's um, it's funny you say that because you do have at the uh, the all stages you you do end up having that problem because there's a bit of a confusion with the coach and the dad. So many times you have to to get him by the ear from a dad point of view. But uh, on the coaching side, I try to be there for him whenever he wants anything to me. Uh, the other day I actually told Eduardo, I said, look, are you doing anything more on the car more than what I suggest? Because apparently you're only doing that thing that I've suggest. So I want you to suggest and you to go after him because he has the same, you know, when I, whenever they said, oh, Rubens is a really good guy for setting up the car. Um, why do I have that? Because I have that um, that sensitivity on on my fingers and my toes and, and the way I behave with my body. I want to be so, um, um, you know, stuck into the seat belts and the seat because then I, I want to be part of it and I want to feel that. The first time when I saw Eduardo jumping on the car, not a go-kart, and he was asking more, I want more, I want to be more locked into my seat, I kind of felt that because normally when you first go into it, 
you feel a bit sick because you, you want to be moving. But the, he was asking for more. And I kind of a, had a sensation that he had the same feeling. And he do. I mean, for the feeling on the car. Uh, the problem is that I translate too well to the engineer the way I, I talk because I can see him driving, I can see the hands and it's almost like if he doesn't talk, I already know what to put on the car. And I, 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 whenever I'm not on the racetrack, he develops a lot more. So it is what you said, it's a kid's, uh, it's a daddy's cart thing and I have to be away so uh, as many times I can be just for his uh, development, but I'm it's tough for me to be away. <laughs> it's really tough. I guess that's the hard thing, is it? Knowing when to be there and when to to step back at it. It's interesting what you say about the the sensitivity you had as a driver. Obviously, at Autosport, we have Gary Anderson as our as our technical editor. Love him. Well, yeah. he's uh, oh, he's uh, he speaks very highly of you, and he always says you were a fantastic driver for that technical feedback. In that you gave you gave him what he needed. I remember him saying once that basically you could get on the radio coming down the pit lane. And by the time you got to the garage, with what you told him, he knew exactly what he could do to the car to tackle what was needed. And even you could do that when when young. So obviously you came into Formula One. Even by modern standards, you were no, relatively, it was, it, relatively it was, young. It was a fantastic, uh, first of all, relationship. Because I remember in his eyes that so the first time I, I, I drove the, the Sasso Yamaha 92, I had six laps. They told me because they were going around and... Uh, Modena was on the car and they told me, okay, you have six laps, be careful not to crash the car and so on. I, I, those, those six laps, I was so scared to do anything wrong that I, you know, I drove the car kind of a slowly. I had a 360 that I told him before, after because they didn't know that I had a 360. They didn't check the telemetry, but I was so lucky not to crash the car because uh, it was a, a V12 that it was a different engine to drive. But I was much more impressed that day with the engine braking than with the power. But I kept it quiet, and they they gave me a, a test the week after. No, it was actually longer. It was in December, and it was a wet uh, Silverstone. Uh, it doesn't rain that much in Silverstone, so it, uh, it was a wet Silverstone in December on already the 93 car with the hard engine. And uh, they were still talking to Modena and, um, and to see if he was going to drive and so on. When I f- drove for the first time, and they had their fastest lap around Silverstone and they could see that I, I could behave, not go out and crash the car and so on. And with my speaking with uh, in relation to the car, they said, we, we have enough. And, uh, and that's when they, they went to search. Uh, my first uh, teammate at the time was Capelli. And then uh, it was Butsang, and it was, you know, I had plenty that so year. You had five teammates in that first year, didn't uh, you? I had Apicella. Naspetti. Uh, Naspetti. Um, and then and then eventually Irvine came came to drive the, the last two races. So but it was. It was the he saw he saw a chance on on a young kid to you know the way I approach I've always divided the corner in three, four or five uh, parts for depending on the what the engineer understood from turning, mid corner and, and exit. But he could divide it in, in many, many situations. And Gary was uh, the same passion that I had for driving. He had to develop the car. So it was fantastic. With so little money, he could do something with the, with the wings and the way that uh, it was just amazing. It's interesting what you say about dividing up the corner. So 
you know, in three, effectively, is, I guess, entry phase, mid-corner, exit. Can you give an example of kind of a four- or five-stage corner? I'm just interested to... I'm always interested in how drivers you approach could, things. You could, um, you could have the, uh, the, the, the three phases. You could divide that in six, actually, because you can, you can have the, the very entry of, uh, of a non-throttle entry to the corner to, to an entry where you have some throttle and the mid corner is the same way. It depends where the application of the throttle is, and and uh, and you you do you don't want to be complex, so you don't get the, the um, you know things complicated in a way. But it's uh, it's the effort, the message that you're trying to 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 give to to the engineer. I'm having that with uh, with uh, Mauricio, the guy who's um, who does my my stock car right now. I mean, he's younger than me, but he has the same passion as, as Gary Anderson. So Gary, I could look, look into his eyes and one word, he knew what I wanted. And, um, and, uh, and, and I tell you, I mean, nowadays, if somebody just uh, get Gary for, for an advisor for aerodynamics and so on, uh, we, we share the same principle. A Formula One car needs... Uh, you, you tell me, oversteer, I like oversteer, I like understeer. No one drives it fast if the car brakes already loose. The car needs to be settled. After that, having some oversteer is your choice of setup. But if the car comes already uh, with, uh, with some... Uh, uh, why we have uh, people who goes fast in qualify and not so fast on the race? Because it only gives you that stability on new tires. On no tires, it doesn't give you any more. And then you can see why other teams do stuff. And, and you tell me, um, oh, okay, why Williams is doing, uh, what, what is it happening right now? At the end of the day, it takes two years for a team of Formula One to understand that they, they choose the wrong method of developing the car. But it takes two years because... It's so easy for you to say, ah, okay, I was faster, so I preferred this. But you were faster because the wind changed. It wasn't because you, you actually drove the car and you have understeer, oversteer here. So, and then you eventually find out that you, uh, the way you, you developed the car was on the wrong path. And uh, that's why I, I, I see, okay, Ferrari, they have in Vettel and Leclerc. Leclerc, it's phenomenal and he's going to be a champion. But he needs someone like uh, Vettel that he still has the youth, but it, it has some experience from him to learn. If you put just two kids there that are just going fast, you need someone that, uh, such as Adrian Newey, that knows when to uh, come and say, mm, I didn't like that, I want to back-to-back and uh, I will retest. Because then you have two, two kids in Albon and... and uh, uh, and Verstappen, that uh, it might go the different different route, but you need someone uh, with some experience to come from the top and and do the development. It's interesting what you said about what you could do even from quite early on. Where do you think that ability came from? The ability to understand a car, to interpret it, because it's it's not always as simple as oh the car is understeering here, because you need to understand if you're causing that with the way you're driving, if it's conditions, all these all these factors and to be able to sort through that some drivers with lots of experience never yeah. get there but you um, seem to have it with, with relatively little experience yeah i've um so many times i 
when I drove the go-karts, um, my father wouldn't know what to do when I came and report a problem that uh, he would send me out again to see if I, if I saw it again. Or if, and, and then that would uh, eventually be a test whenever we had some, like a mechanic that had a little bit more experience, he would uh, quite often test me to see if I, if I really was feeling or not that. I think that gave me that, um, you know, that odd feeling of, of, of knowing what was right and what was wrong. So, but I think it is in the body as well. I mean, I've always been afraid of uh, flying um, and uh, I end up uh, believing that I, I have something in my body that, uh, that has a, f a feeling of when the, the, the airplane is going to move that uh, is probably double what, uh, what a person that doesn't, is not afraid that it feels. So aerodynamically, I could feel the car straight away. I could go out of the pits in the first lap, come back in and say, I, I have this problem. And so many times I was questioned, so many times. So how the hell do you know that? Because you've only been done two, three corners. And at the end of the day, of course, I've never been uh, 100% right, but... Uh, I got it right so many times, you know. I still have uh, parts of, of engine at home and parts of things because there was this uh, Mugello time that I came to the pits and I said, look, um, there's an odd noise on the engine that I think is going to blow. And if you guys want to see if it does 600 kilometers, I think you got to really open it and, and check the engine because if it blows, you might not know. And they came back to me and said, look, you're tired, so you don't want to do that. Uh, last 100 kilometers I said look it's I, I don't mind I can go forever here and then I am tired in a way but I I can do that and uh, but if you open the engine and the engine is like this I want parts of of that to me and then they opened the engine and there was that little crack on the piston so they gave me the piston it's still still at home <laughs> just unbelievable sensitivity I guess isn't it but obviously that those skills serve you very well during formula one and just looking at formula one as a whole how do you kind of look back at what you achieved because you had a phenomenally successful career more successful than 99 percent of drivers but never quite got that ultimate goal and i always got the impression when it finished you always were trying to get back in for a few years even looked at maybe doing a few races with caterham uh, i think in, in 14 which obviously wasn't really a car yeah. worthy of your ability so clearly that there's for all you've you've succeeded there. There's a little bit of a sense of of business business that will never really be finished there. Um, I've always enjoyed the 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 fact that uh, driving a Formula One car is something that when I drove now in Goodwood, it was just a feeling. Even though you could get uh, just as high as fourth gear, you know, it comes back to you so simple. It's just a car that is phenomenal to drive. So, um, in terms of actually. Um, I, yes, I didn't have a championship that I could uh, commemorate and just say, yeah, I won it. Um, I achieved a lot from a young kid that uh, had no financial support and, uh, you, know, you know, to be 19 years in Formula One. The other day I was with Montoya in Vegas and uh, he said, how many years did you drive? I said, 19. And he said, I only had six. I had a feel that, uh, that Montoya drove for, for longer, but he told me six years. I said, well, you're such a bad driver then because 19 is the, is the, way, the, the way we should take. And we had fun about it. And, uh, of course, he had a, a, lot, a lot of uh, uh, 
Uh, he was such a good driver in those six years. But uh, for me, it looked like more. So did I miss a championship? Yes, yes. And probably 2009, it was a year made for myself with the Brown. But uh, of course, we know uh, the, the, the problem that I had with the brakes early on. And then I, I couldn't have the device, the aerodynamic device. And then the car, uh, at the end of the day, didn't have the, the balance that I was searching for. And then I paid the price for that. And I didn't recover early enough for me to be on the winning part. Because if uh, on the... Uh, did Button win five or six races? He won six out of the first seven. Exactly. I think so two those podiums six, after we, I mean, let's say I won three and he won three. That championship would have gone to the wire. And it doesn't mean that I would have won or not. Because I love uh, Jensen anyway as a, as a friend, as a brother. And uh, every time we together, we remember the good times we had. And what a, such a good driver he was, but um, I believe that year was a was a was a really good year for me to to uh, to conquer. Um, but it was um, you know I, I I don't regret not winning. I I have you know I'm thankful for everything else that I have achieved and um, and the wins that I had. And I, yeah, for sure I should have plenty more, but the it was such a good time I had in, in those 19 years and and that experience that gave me the the calm and the ability to be collective and and just to you know people said at the end of those 19 years you remember so many interviews people came to me and said oh Rubens you should stop you, you don't have to show uh, anything else to people and I said I'm not here to show people anything else I'm here because I love and the proof of that is that I'm still doing this so much and um i just love that it's interesting that 2009 example because obviously you were basically the stronger driver when the car was less competitive should we say you had a couple of wins monza yeah. valencia was a very good win actually that was exactly that was that's one of the wins that stands out in my memory of yours i don't people don't really talk about it much but just really well executed obviously it was a fuel strategy one yes, you had yeah. you had to nail it yeah. At exactly the right moment. And I will remember forever uh, Hamilton coming to me at the end of the race and said, how the hell did you do that? Because he, he thought he would, have, he would have won the race. So um, it was the 100th win for Brazil. So for me, it, it comes as, as, as an important one as well. But the one that I think I gave everything was Monza. I think Monza was, a, was even, an even greater win. Uh, of course, again, it paid off on a strategy side. But um, the, the, the wins that always come to, to the mind are not the ones that uh, are the ones that you start from pole and win. You can see on Hamilton's face that whenever it is like that, it's not uh, the way. It's when you come from behind, when you have overtakes and you have a failure and then you have to overcome the problem. So those ones are the ones that really stand out. Which one is the one that most stands out? Because one that leaps to mind for me, for you actually is one you started from pole, but you did have to then make up position, which is Silverstone in I love in, in that 03, which, was, which maybe that sort of springs to mind as perhaps your best one in Formula One. Would you agree with that, or do you think yeah, well, that's not, not uh, Hockenheim? Up? Hockenheim has a bit of a uh, a bit more is it, more romantic than Silverstone, just for the fact that there there was uh, you could consider Ross Brown being a god. And, and talking to me and say, son, you got to come to the pits because everyone is doing. And then you, you have to talk uh, with some 
concerns on, on now on, on not uh, actually upsetting the master and uh, you say look um the track is not wet ross he said no but everyone is coming for wet so it's not not a single person staying on slicks i said there's got to be somebody else no oh there is another brazilian they said zonta zonta wasn't on, on slicks eventually i think he was fourth in the and uh, and then he crashed onto the stadium but um I don't know if it was a Brazilian thing or not. For me, the track was definitely not wet. And uh, whenever it was really wet at the last lap, I had I had done uh, what I had to do and I, I could drive so slowly. Probably I was a little lucky that the, the groove tires uh, could actually dissipate some water because then um, I could go through the stadium with, um, with, um, with the car that finished the race and won it. Uh, but Silverstone was 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 harder to conquer, conquer because because of everything I fell back and uh, you know and and Michael was on that race it wasn't that Michael wasn't on the race so and I was going fast uh, I no, tell there you was I, some there was some tire choice thing there was at Silverstone where I you kind a, of went against the team again there yes I did go for for a, for a, like a B B option on the tire but I like it better because. There wasn't just a compound; it was the construction of it, and the construction made um, if you could work the tire on a certain temperature, uh, and the side the sidewall of the tire could move as far to give you that temperature, so then you could make it work. Uh, I knew Michael couldn't make it work that tire, but I I could, and I wanted to be different. And and uh, and I, if you remember that race. It was uh, you went to qualify on your final position of the last race or the first practice, whatever, and I was dead last because the last the lap uh, the race before I was I didn't finish the race, so I was last. So I was the first one to go to the to the track. So for me, it was an anxious moment because I put a, a, a such a good lap, and people coming in and coming in and coming in, and I you know nobody beat me that day for pole. So it was, uh, was a strong weekend that I will remember forever. Of course, people know that I lived uh, around Silverstone for such a long time, and I, I love that place. And obviously the Ferrari years, I don't want to ask you too much about the things people are always asking about from that period, but obviously the, the overwhelming thing there was kind of your status in the team, that you were effectively the second driver contractually, which obviously was a source of frustration for you, for you in that period. How do you look back on that? that now is it is it just that that's life that's you, you knew that was the deal and you kind of had to put up with it or, is, oh, or for do you sure. regret it for sure uh, it wasn't written anything on my contract like people sometimes say but it was probably written on on michael's um so the example i've always give it was that um it wasn't written anything on my contract as as the t car for example but for sure on michael's was written that he had the t car so you know, with no written and and what he had, for sure he would have the T car. But um, honestly, from the bottom of my heart, I think that anything that I had as a difficulty in my life made me better. Anything that um, that I had as a as a tough time, it made me uh, tougher. And um, I think life is not ju- just about the trophies and the podiums and the victories that you have. It's about the experience, uh, even because we're not gonna, we're not gonna get the trophies on the coffin. So whenever we have to to depart from this ward, and um, it's what I what I saw the other day. Um, I 
I was in the Mexico paddock, um, and um, and I think it was Bottas that came, you know, running. That people was behind him, and he stopped just to give me a nudge on my head. And uh, my son was over the moon for the fact that uh, you know a nowadays driver came in to stop for me and had respect for me. And I said, son, I think this is this is what is life is about. I mean, I can go into any garage. I probably have worked to 80% of the people that are, that are around here and I can hug them back. I mean, I, I don't regret anything that, uh, uh, you know, anything that really, really was bad. Because if it was bad at that time, it teach me to be something else. And, uh, for example, when Michael had the accident uh, on the, um, with a, with a ski, he, um, I... Um, on that 31st to the 1st, uh, we were in California, so we had to wake up the, the kids because they were sleeping. And I I just woke up them to, to go past the midnight and um, and, and just uh, pray. And I, I said, I want you guys to, you know, hug um, all together and we pray for Michael. And he, he came to me and said, why, why are we praying for Michael, Dad? He's, he's done so bad for you. He's, he's not being a good guy for you. And I said, look, if if that's that's the... I mean, dad never actually told you stories as out of my mouth. People might have told you so many things that made you think like that. But I don't wish him bad. I wish him all the best and I, I want him to recover. I I'm, I think this is life. I, we want to, you know, uh, if you want well for people, that well comes back to you. So for me... Is it's it was a teaching moment as well on how to to go. So when I look back, man, if you if you if you knew myself when I was six and the way that that go kart was when I first started, uh, it wouldn't we would never have thought I I would have done three hundred and twenty three or twenty six races. Mm. No, very much so. Very much so. Uh, the, the other interesting thing in terms of how well you did again uh, alongside Michael. A lot of his teammates talk about how difficult the car was to drive the way he wanted it. You know, the sort of the effectively sort of pivoting kind of from a point somewhere in front of the car, almost very pointy. You seemed to be able to deal with that better than most, or maybe you were able to to tweak it a little bit to work better for you. But that has always interested me. The kind of when you get these extremes of he did seem to go for quite extremes of setup, but you always seem to be quite good at adapting, even yeah. to, even to I when mean, you had bad cars. I had could... I had to adapt to it because um, if you go back uh, 2000, 2001, almost every Friday I was quicker than Michael. Come Saturday, he would have developed the car and, and, and go faster than myself. So I I had to learn the way that, the, because that way he was driving was definitely the, the faster way. Uh, the, the the last bit that took me a little while to 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 make it work for myself was the front toe, because he had a zero front toe. Zero front toe makes the car really twitchy. Uh, it follows the road a, a bit too much. Normally on a Formula One car, you're gonna have plus half on each side at least to have one out, just to make it a a little calmer on the way in and to help the understeer on the in the middle of the corner. The more you open the toe on the front, it should help the understeer mid-corner and calm the entry. But Michael, uh, he would do, on one touch on the steering wheel, he would kill the understeer 
and uh, and he wouldn't be a, a great guy to conserve the rear tires, and that's why so many times he had to stop four times for. But he would uh, nail it uh, on those laps and make it work. But uh, that zero front toe was for me the hardest thing that I had to understand until I really got to the point that I could drive the car. Oh, that's a really interesting uh, detail, actually. Which I'm, Tell Gary I'm that. Before. Yeah, I will do. Yeah, we, no, we, I don't think I, I ever drove for Jordan or the Stewart whenever he came back with uh, zero toe. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's yeah. standard not to, isn't it? Yeah. It, it is. It is. Uh, uh, the standard is like toe out front and toe in rear. Yeah. But um, but uh, yeah, I, I think he will find it funny. But does that? change the way that the kind of tires load up when on turning does that have a dynamic impact the, there? the zero toe yeah it depends on the ackerman that you have on the car but it's um it just uh, normally it will make the car nervous on entry and that's the way you could see michael driving that is interesting uh like i say i always felt you're a driver although like you said earlier the driver always wants a car that's consistent etc but i i did see times when you had a, a less good car not just a less competitive car but a car that wasn't easy to drive the Williams at times say in 2011 there were points where it it, it was difficult to drive and you could watch a qualifying lap I you know, normally have you down as kind of one of the best bad car qualifiers should we say I mean do you think that's that's true is that something you felt was a um, was a strength no driver likes that I but. think I think the strength there um and Hamilton was a good example to myself again he came back to me I think it was 07 or 08 that uh, the McLaren wasn't that good. And uh, he said, oh, man, how, how can you drive those bad cars? And uh, how can you find the motivation to do that? And my motivation was always to be thankful for the chance that we were there. You know, we were there and trying our best. So while we are here, just make it work. And uh, so that's, that's how, you know, it was easier for me to do that and uh, and not um, complain about it because I can see so many guys and and that Netflix thing I you know he, he, between Grosjean and the teammate and the, the his uh, team owner is just funny to see that because you just I don't know man you, you, something is bad here we got we we gotta I mean let. Put the rear wing on the front wing and and, and vice versa and, and make it work. I it's not just a putting the fingers on on people and uh, and the the good teams that I drove for there was harmony in that. Okay, the engine broke, but the aerodynamic guys said, "Oh, we together and we're gonna make it work the next time." And the bad teams I I, I drove there were such a pointing fingers for things and uh, that's why we didn't win i told you that the engine was heavy now the weight distribution is bad so it was a better vibe in everything and it's hard to make a bad vibe uh, a winner it's worth bringing lito back in here now just to give a bit of context about the the kind of way rubens was seen in in brazil because obviously rubens was the was the great hope in the years after after senna had huge success but there always seemed to be this expectation that you go out and win every race no matter what the machinery it wasn't wasn't an easy one yes he's always carried that load uh, i i see it this way for part of the public those that are more uh, familiar with model racing i think he completely fulfilled uh, this ex- expectation but of course there's always uh, there are always some persons who don't know a lot about it and they are always a little 
uh, too certain about what they really don't know. But there's, there's one question that I've been waiting for the chance to ask Rubens. It's not about his best result. It's about a moment. And the moment I'm talking about is in 1993, that famous Donington race, uh, the one on the wet that Siena won that, that race. But there was, at those days, uh, at, at that, the background. It was your first season in Formula One, and up to three, three laps, to the end of the race, you had to leave without fuel. Yes. How does this race stand in your memory in the moment of that race? You are still a rookie. It was definitely something that I it stands out because um, I remember uh, my father telling me, uh, asking me, how did the first and the second race go? And I said, I'm, you know, I'm, I had a failure before I actually did a pit stop. So... I was so sad not to have a pit stop uh, on the f those first two races in Kyalami and uh, in Brazil. And, uh, and then it came to me as a laugh in, in Donington because I stopped like six times and, uh, and I had six pit stops and, and uh, it was just coming more and more. And I said, how many times are we going to stop? And uh, it's funny because you put questions to you know, uh, how you're sad and how you're happy. And all of a sudden, I was in the middle of, a, of the race. And for me, the funniest moment I had in that race was that I I couldn't believe my eyes that I was P2. And I could see on the on the screen that, you know, Senna was winning. And I said, Jesus, I'm, uh, you know, I'm doing phenomenally here and I, I need to keep going. All of a sudden, I see Senna behind me. And I said, whoa, he made a pit stop. He's behind I'm first now, so I'll close the doors. And uh, he almost had a uh, he had a horn. He would come prom prom because he was lapping me. And uh, and uh, when he went by, he actually you know uh, put a hand out just to say, "Hey, boy, you still behave there." And I, you know, he was he was definitely with his car and his ability. He was doing even better. And uh, it was sad. I wish I was on that podium. Honestly, there's sad moments that I. If I could change, you know, people ask me uh, so many things about uh, Ferraris and the things. But that that day, I if I could change, I would have got back into the because I had a sore back, a really sore back. I went to, uh, I went from the moment of the car, I went straight to the uh, to the uh, doctor uh, place uh, because I had to have an injection. I couldn't move because uh, it was still I was I had done a new seat only for the race and it was a bad thing but I, I kept on going if, if I had to sit on the podium I would have so I, I, I miss it the other one that I, I'm so sorry about it it was uh, Hungary um, and it was um, 15 I think I think it is to, uh, it is uh, 95 sorry not 15 There's so many years that I raced that I, I get confused but 95 with the Jordan that I made a I made a, a one last pit stop work and um, and I I you know three laps to the end I'm third and uh, I would have finished third I got to the last corner I went to the throttle and the engine stopped uh, so there was never any smoke on that Peugeot but there was that first time that they put a thing for the engine not to explode so 
they had this uh, this this ability to change ch- shut off the engine before you put any smoke because it was bad publicity but for me if the engine explode i would have finished the race and i finished rolling in seventh place but that that time was in still only points for top six and i was third on the very last corner so i do feel sorry for that moment too and my last moment that i wish it was a something and i only have this three is brazil 03 where i i would have won that race by miles and uh unfortunately i had no fuel in the car too well, I think that these moments that he's talking about and still that uh, unbelievable pole position in Spa-Francorchamps with slick tires on a wet or almost wet track were the moments where, re- where really Rubens definitely conquered respect for the people who really matter. That's, I think that's my answer for your question. No, I think that's, uh, that's very fair. But it's interesting you mentioned the Donington one because the... Gary has talked about the reason why, because I think it, I think at the time it was talked about as fuel pump, but if there's nothing for the fuel pump to pick up, uh, and it was it was down to the the, the fuel barrels were smaller than, yeah, than normal. Yeah, and so there was, they, they there put, was a bad um, a bad time for to calculate the 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 amount of traction control you had it because normally uh, you go ten seconds slower, and then because of that you 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 have um, you spend less. Uh, fuel you just use less fuel but um with the traction control was coming in so hard that time and uh and all the problems that gary mentioned already but it was lack of fuel yes <laughs> yeah because i think the the barrels that the fuel was supplied it was slightly smaller than normal yes so they put in the right amount with a margin yes and yeah i can imagine that's for well i i have run out of fuel in a race at doddington park but okay slightly lower level <laughs> so uh, not so you know the feeling i wasn't running second it's oh, okay. uh, safe to say but uh, <laughs> yeah i can uh, I can only imagine but one of the interesting things about your career is you did have this kind of long phase should we say on the up you had some successful seasons uh before the the Muta ferrari some some great races. obviously 94 was a was a huge season as well yes. with consistent strong performances yeah, in the top points sixes, the first, yes the first podium but it it did take a long time for you to get into a car that could that could win um how, how sort of frustrating was that was there a point where you thought oh this just isn't going to happen because you just weren't in the right place especially we'll see when when johnny yeah. herbert won at the nervo yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's funny i mean uh you have um you make the right choices uh, for most of the time, and then you make one one wrong choice, and and uh, you pay the price. Um, if th- that year you could remember the '99 season, I I put on pole uh, on Manicure on the on the wet. That was the right right call to go out and 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 qualify. And then I I had a podium. I think it was Imola on the 99 car as well, and we made the right choices. And I remember if it was yesterday that uh, in Nürburgring, I was asking the whole time uh, for for a wet track because I was faster on the wet track and I was pulling away from people. And, uh, and all of a sudden, I decided to stay on slicks and uh, I had th- those two slow laps made me pay the price, and I finished uh, out of the first place. I still finished on the podium, which was a great, uh, a great memory. But I, I would, uh, I would have much loved to have given Jackie and Paul the the first win. But how funny it is, isn't it? I was asking for rain, and I stay on slicks. So 
how uh, you know is is, uh, is almost um, a contra that there is a control uh, vision on that, and I it's uh, but you have milliseconds to make decisions, and I I made the the wrong one that time that it still gave me the third place, but uh, it didn't give him the first one. And sometimes it's just luck, isn't it? In oh terms yeah. Of, of yeah. That. There was everyone was doing different things in 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 that race, but uh, and I guess obviously less than a year later you made the right decision in, in that situation to stay on the uh, to stay on the slicks. Was that in your mind when you thought, oh, I had this chance last year? No, and went no, wrong? no, I wasn't. Uh, I'm thinking whenever, uh, if, if that comes on your mind, this is experience and you move forward. Whenever it come, comes as a regret, you definitely make the wrong decision once again. So, uh, no, that that time it was a, was uh, very clear to me that Hockenheim was the right decision to stay on slicks. And you mentioned those Stewart years. Obviously, those three seasons were uh, overall for a new team uh, pretty pretty good. You had that amazing run at Monaco in the in the first year, which was which I guess must stand as one of the one of the great performances because although the car was good, it probably wasn't maybe Perfect, second yeah. at Monaco. Uh, good, shall we say? But it was a shame that team didn't continue in the way it should have done because obviously with the Jaguar thing, I know you'd left by then but yeah. it sort of lost all that momentum and what made it so good you know Gary Anderson talks very highly about about the way Jackie Stewart led the team and the the whole environment in that team it was a yeah. it was a proper racing team should we say before yeah. it got overrun by corporate it was, concerns it, it was fantastic because um, although the first car uh, was good was a bit bulky and had a had an engine that was a little too heavy uh, but it was uh, it, because of the fight on the tires the, the Bridgestone tires though the, that year was so competitive and uh, we were we were able to actually put real good uh, um, you know efforts and we had great great a great time in 97 and the expectation for 98 was good was good although the engine didn't change um we 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 had um, really high expectations for the for the carbon carbon gearbox which was the the wrong call because that thing was so so stiff that make the whole the whole rest of the car swerve so and it was funny to me that we f- we have a fifth place uh, people ask me how how do uh, how do i remember that but i don't know how but i remember we had a fifth place in 98 in uh, in in barcelona Normally, people say if your car runs well in Barcelona, it will run well everywhere, which was completely wrong for us because it didn't go any, anywhere well, but it went well in Barcelona. So because of the movement and uh, that year was great for um, we made um, we learned so much on gear ratios. Nowadays, you have um, a certain numbers, but uh, uh, we changed first gear and uh, we made it so much longer. And I had a I made I made the gap from gear to gear smaller because I think I thought the engine wasn't coping with that, and all of a sudden they saw that with uh, with that invention we 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 got something like fifty horsepower out of, out of the engine because the, the the revs were were doing good. I mean, uh, it was such a thing that with a good group in '99. With Cosworth making a revolution on that engine, which I think was one of the best engines on the uh, on the grid at the time, 
it was such a nice car to drive. The 99 had power, had a, a, a light engine that I think it was below 100 kilos. It made us make the, the weight distribution a lot better. So it was a really nice car to drive. At the other end of the scale, what kind of stands out as the worst car you drove in Formula 1? The Honda, the 07 car in particular, I guess, stands out. It seemed to have yeah. lots of drag on the straights, yeah, no the downforce o- in the corners. Yeah, the 07 was a, was a, was a, heavy, a heavy car. The 98 uh, Stuart was, was not an easy, easy one as well. Um, the 11 Williams wasn't such a great car to drive. But I think the one that stands out, I think that Honda 07 was, was a tough... Uh, Although I had the podium in uh, in Silverstone, if you remember, it was the 07. Uh, it was, I think it was 08, wasn't it? The it is the, the o- o- but the 08 is the. I always get confused with it. the Ward car is the, the 07. Car was 07, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that, the, no, the 08 is the one that I'm finishing. <laughs> yeah, which was hardly a great car, but yeah, it was no. slow, but maybe slightly better. Exactly. To drive. Yeah, the 07 was a was the Ward known worst car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I guess it's one of those things that over a career you get such a broad range of cars, don't you? To, yeah. to, I guess Williams is a good example. You had two years there. The first year was pretty good. Yes, pre- absolutely. Pretty good. And then the second year, which is when we're starting to get towards exhaust blowing, isn't it? And they yeah. were struggling with that and the car was just, yeah, it was just a waste of time. There was a, it wasn't anything to actually pinpoint, or, but there was a lot of discussion and uh, Sam Michael was such a great uh, engineer, but uh, he was overdue with uh, problems because uh, Patrick, you know, didn't have a great time with the team anymore and then Frank couldn't say and then they put the Adam Parr to to take over. So was a, was already a lawyer and not a... So it was a, was a difficult period that um, didn't have control. And with no control, then we had, a, we had no development on the car as well. Of course, it was Adam Parr who was there when you were... Pushed out, shall we say? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> With a little bit of money, um, somebody else drove the car. Yeah, which uh, was a pretty good car the 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 year after. So uh, so well, I see. Well, that must have been hard because the the twelve car. You know, people talk about the the fact it got a win. Where did that come from? But actually, that car was it was good. Was really good, and you had yeah. obviously one driver in Maldonado who was quick when everything was right, but all over the place. And yes, yeah. Bruno Senna, actually quick driver, but he just really couldn't qualify. Yeah. Um, and so you sort of looking at, I guess, from afar at a car that you should have been in. Yeah. And th- there's no question you'd have got, in my mind, you'd have got strong results and I very consistently. So. And I, I think they know as well. They know for a fact that that, that would have been the case. And um, yeah, no, I was sorry not to drive that, that Williams uh, in, uh, in that year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that would have been some, uh, some, some good races. I mean, when you, obviously you, you follow Formula One, I see now you do some uh, sort of punditry work, that kind of thing, uh, on and off. How do you like what Formula One is now? Do you look at it, I mean, I imagine any rule set in Formula One, you'd enjoy it, but do you, do you look at it and think, actually, there's things I don't like about it. Obviously, drivers can't push as hard as they used to. There's a lot of management with tyres, keeping the temperatures under control there, the hybrids, or, or do you think you'd have... I'm sure you've done no, well in it. No, I, I think that um, at the end of the day, people could always say that uh, the cars are more controlled uh, by, uh, you know, by the um, technology and so on, but they are faster as well. So they are harder to drive. There are more buttons to press and more 
control to think is not just a driving thing. So they, it's an interesting Formula One altogether. I think it has been a good year uh, this year with uh, the fact that Ferrari is faster over a, a lap and then not so fast over over the distance. So, you know, whenever you have a... Um, the, the, the really good thing about the Brazilian stock cars is that you never know who's going to win. So... You know, if that comes to Formula One, that's that's uh, that's what makes it interesting, and that's what the public uh, would uh, would like to see. Even though we're talking Formula One, that is probably only six car that would have a chance to win. It's still six car, not just two. So that would make it interesting. Yeah, you just mentioned uh, stock cars. Uh, I have a curiosity about how you feel in stock car, but. The question is uh, something like, uh, okay, Formula One is the top car to drive, but about racing, from the lights to the flag, how do you rate stock cars? Because it's all the same for everybody. Yeah, it's um, it's very, very different. Uh, it's, it's a bit of a, a muscle kind of racing because you actually touch on people and it's not just a, it's not just a single race that you you know you just uh, if you touch you lose a front wing or something so it's sometimes uh, like a ufc type of racing but i've learned to behave in in that uh, situation and i i think the racing uh is only 40 minutes but it's uh, it's good fun it is really good fun because you gotta push hard from the way the word uh go and um you have some strategy involved, but it's uh, I really have fun in, in the stock cars, even though it's a really hot car. That uh, last race was 55 degrees inside of the car, so you're boiling inside. You still, you know, physically it's not hard to drive. It's just hot. So um, I, I, ha I rate uh, everyone that drove that car really enjoy. And um, I even told my friend uh, Button, the other day that uh, whenever I have the invitational race that uh, he should come to drive with me sometime, uh, especially now that he has had some experience with, uh, with um, you know, cars and Japan and um, rallies and things like this. Um, I would love him to, to give it a go because people who, who does it, uh, they love the stock car. And about the Australian, Australian single-seater, that that monster, as you said, how did you like it? How did you find yourself uh, back in a well, not a Formula One, but almost like that? The feeling I was um, I was actually anxious to get on the car because I wanted to know if I had the physical condition to actually drive something fast. Because um, you know, when I uh, when you stay too long away from from such a fast car. It um, sometimes, you know, you question, I'm not getting any younger, but uh, physically I'm well prepared. And I, when I got there, I fell in love with that. And I, I drove the ass out of that, that car. And Phillip Island was such an experience in what a, a tremendous racetrack. And the 600 horsepower was just phenomenal. And uh, it's, it's something that I, um, I wish to do it again. We're talking for maybe to do the race uh, in Melbourne the you know on the same weekend as, as the the formula one i'd love to do that because i'll be there with my friends and still be trying to be competitive there and to be able to finish second place to show that i was uh, still okay and well prepared 
to to that and I'm off recover second place because I had a lot of problems yes yes it was uh we had some some issues on starts and uh and lights it was just the first race but it, I I tell you I think that is a series that um you know people eventually will will come to you know to be able to do some races it's not a series for someone that lives the go-kart and go to do that because it's too much power but uh, but eventually it's a good preparation for for the final step well it is meant to be a driver's car isn't it that's what they've they've aimed to do so the fact that someone like you can jump into it to do a one-off and still you know go back to do a little bit more uh says a lot doesn't it absolutely yeah and it, i love it i really do and um so yes if i get the invitation back on i will i will be there so you put your name down for a full season or would that be a bit uh, too much? No, it's it's far away, but I can I can I can still do okay. <laughs> and I mean, looking at your your strengths as a driver, we've talked about that. What about your weaknesses as a driver? If you look back and think um what where where you could have either improved or just the weaknesses that any driver carries that sometimes something you can't something that I'm really good now that I don't think that I was at the time was that I spent too much time on the negativity about uh, why did they do that? Why 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 they not seen how much good I am and how developing uh, the car I do at Ferrari especially? I I I used to to feel sick about it and just see why why they not uh, seeing the big picture and just giving both drivers the same chances. So um, whenever I started to look at my own. And just concentrate and starting to choose my own tires and and having the option to do things i I became such a better driver and um so it's something that i'm 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 doing so good now I'm so relaxed and i'm I enjoy sometimes I see on the debriefs drivers that they they mad about something they they putting the energy on on the wrong path, so it is uh, they're going through what i've what I've went through. It's just that I I was 19 when I got there and I was 39 when I when I left it. So um, I had a, a really good period and I I just learned from it. But I was already in Formula One. There was no I couldn't do many many mistakes that uh, that you know, eventually you do when you when you're young. So I was already there doing the mistakes. Because it's one of the things as well that comes with age or that, doesn't it? Yeah, true. You're always uh, sort of almost as the physical goes down a little bit inevitably the, the mental side continues to continues to grow but one interesting thing i did want, I want to ask you about one race that stands out um is barcelona in 2009 and this is a race that i always that at the time was sometimes difficult to understand obviously you had this you were leading if memory serves i think you were three stopping yeah. jensen and the other car switched to a two stopper and managed to jump you but one of the interesting things about that race is they did it i think I'm going from memory here. I think it was the third stint was your third stint was a bit was a little bit slow, but I never really understood why that that had happened. So I just wanted to ask um, you really, to fill in the gaps. Well, whenever whenever we talk to, um, I think they learned pretty soon on that race that a used set from qualify was not a good set for the race, and that's why they choose uh, button to change strategy. And uh, whenever I had that that tire, I wasn't fast. And and uh, I remember 
uh, jock coming on my my ear saying that it's not gonna it's gonna it's not gonna work uh, if we keep on going like that. But it wasn't it wasn't fast. That tire wasn't fast. As soon as they changed the tire, I was flying again. But um, you know, uh, there was a uh, there was that uh, odd used set from not 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 that. I mean, if if I had uh, gone through all used uh, sets, then I they all would have been slow. But uh, there was one set that I couldn't get any speed out of it. Yeah, it's interesting because it wasn't because it was still it's like a few tenths off consistently over the stint, which is effectively where you lost the race. That's interesting. It's always one of the one of the difficult things from the kind of outside or obviously covering it in the media you're sort of partly inside but you don't know all the details yeah, but, uh, trying to but understand I, but you want to know so why different. i was pissed at the end of the race uh and uh, i'm i'm sure that's uh uh it was because whenever we came onto the weekend the the meeting before the the race they they said it, the only way to go on this racetrack on this race is a three-stopping and i i have actually um argue why the the two stopping wasn't a, a good thing if we had the advantage on people on uh, speed um, and um, they said no 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 there's only three stopping is the way to go so when bottom one with a two stop that that uh that intrigued me so that's why i came out and said look we said oh we changed because of this or that but you know at the end of the day it was it was what it was yeah, it's always uh, fascinating to fill in the gaps, so I guess it's uh, there's always reasons for all these things happening, and it yeah. can be very sort of opaque from the outside. So that's uh, interesting. Well, I think we've taken up as much of your time as we can do. I could keep asking you questions about all sorts of things. Yeah. <laughs> Try to kind of jump around because uh, you've had a, a fascinating career. We could probably do uh, another ten hours on it, but yeah, I, I think <laughs> that's very true. I love to talk about it and uh, um, send my my love to to Gary. He's always. Uh, been on on uh, on my high high list of uh, you know good feelings on you know when you put a qualifying lap and, and like an engineer comes back to you and say uh, the way you say things what a great lap or any any anything but you know has a great meaning um, people know that I I love um, I love England for for all my passion that I had you know since a kid so thank you very much for the opportunity um, a big hi to all the listeners and uh, and um, I'll see you soon. Oh, I should just mention, mentioning Gary reminded me. I did ask him if there's anything I should ask you, and he he said I should ask it. And I don't know what the context is, but I should ask you about the first two turns at Estoril with no headlights. Oh, <laughs> that's all it's I know. A, it's a, it's something that I said because uh, they were talking about the the two the two corners, and uh, I said I can do that with no lights. I know everything about it, and. Uh, and it was it was pretty dark, and I had to look at the side. And Gary was on the car, on the rental car, and we did take those two corners with no lights. So he was I scared really everything I had out of out of Gary. So I did turn the lights on by turn three. So <laughs> I can see why that sticks in his mind. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks very much, Rubens, and also thank you, Lito Cavalcanti. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Rubens, for this lovely hour we spent here together. Very, very nice.
Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The, is it morning yet, deal. How about now? Or now? Because morning time is McDonald's breakfast time. And that's the best time of all the times. Wake up with a little splash of sweetness. Get any size iced coffee from caramel to hazelnut to French vanilla for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.